What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for kicking off your week with us. This is Fantasy MLB Today. We're starting off the week with a bit of a bang. We don't do it so often. Usually a guest comes on midweek, but a bit of a surprise. We got one for you on Monday and a very special guest at that. Paul Spohr finally got him on the show. He is here. Paul, how you doing, man? Come on. Well, thank you so much for having me on, man. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Like I was telling you and like the people who listen here regularly know I'm just getting over COVID still. So still a little bit uh, scratchiness in the throat, but overall, just about 100% of the way back. I'm glad you're feeling better. Obviously, it uh, you know, a lot of us have been ducking it for multiple years and it's, it's starting to kind of catch up to even the people who were kind of uh, actively avoiding it. Uh, you know, it's it seems as almost as though it's almost inevitable, but I'm glad that it didn't hit you too bad. Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Before we really get started, though, I know people most likely everybody knows who you are here, but you want to just do a quick little rundown of who you sure. are, what you do? Sure. My name is Paul Sporer. For those that don't know, on Twitter and Twitch at Sporer, S-P-O-R-E-R. I am the fantasy editor over at Fangraphs. It's called Rotographs, but it's a little confusing because there is no Rotographs.com. It's fantasy.fangraphs.com or Fangraphs.com slash Rotographs. But if you go to Fangraphs, you'll find it. So I try not to complicate it too much by just saying, go to Fangraphs. We're on the fantasy side. The Sleeper in the Bus podcast with Justin Mason uh, is the podcast that I do as well. Yeah, we actually just had Justin on as our last week, so we're completing the uh, the sleeper. There we go. Here. Although we don't, have, we haven't had Cloud on, but uh, two of the three for sure. Although he's not on as regularly he's, as you yeah, guys, right? He, he does, you know, every every other about every other Sunday or so. So you know, if you got him on in like two weeks, that would fit. We were back to back, and then you got him on a few weeks later. That's great, man. Jason's the best too, so you shouldn't get him on, especially if the Rays make any moves at the deadline. You mentioned you were doing a deadline show. If they have yeah. any big deadline moves, he'll be he'll be the go to guy there. I mean, he knows the whole league, but obviously he knows his Rays inside and out. I usually when we're well, first of all, I haven't talked to him, but I'd really really like to at some point. Now today we're not really. I try to have a topic when there's a guest on. Usually, at least some kind of general, you know, best players to add, buy low, sell high. This is kind of more just a, a topical show of stuff that's in the news right now, stuff that is probably going to be fairly pertinent down the stretch. I think it makes sense to start off with old Jacob deGrom here. How confident are you in deGrom? Where exactly are you ranking him as of now? Assuming all goes well, what do you think will happen with deGrom essentially rest of season? See, I don't really rank injured guys. There's just too much uncertainty. Some might call it a cop-out. I just call it saving time because you have to throw so many caveats and answer all these questions about it when they're not back. So usually until a guy's back, you know, if he's like coming out that late, later that week, even though that's a risk too, right? There could be a setback. But if they're due back relatively soon within the rankings, I'll put them in there. But for the most part, I kind of sideline them because I just want to see what happens. Injuries are just so, uh, you know, so unpredictable. But we have the uh, side session thrown at City Field, I think just yesterday. Going to have a rehab start. It's getting close. So I'm going to be doing an SP update after the deadline. I always debate between All-Star break, uh, doing one or not. But then the deadline is two weeks later. It just feels like a waste of time to do one. And then two weeks later, I have to change it if a bunch of SPs get traded. So the bottom line is, if DeGrom is you know progressing well and either back or about to be back, he's going to go right into my top five. Like I, I, I don't, I don't worry about Degrom when he's back and and they're deeming him capable of pitching. I expect greatness, so he'll be no worse than 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 five. Obviously, you know if he's in my top five, he can the lowest he could be is five. So I will be ready to go and aggressive on Degrom once he's ready to go because aces when they come back like that, 
they're usually ready to be aces. Sometimes not, but I, I trust that he's going to be ready to go. I'd forgotten how dominant he was exactly last year. Like, obviously, he was ridiculous, but 45% strikeout rate, 3.4 walk rate. It's just, it's hard to fathom. Like, in my lifetime, I've never seen someone this good, uh, stat-wise, anyway. Like, I grew up watching Roy Halladay quite a bit. Mm-hmm. He was ridiculous. He was nowhere near this good, I don't think. All and he respect. needed, no, no, exactly. And he needed, like, his volume to really show out how brilliant he was. I think the, the thing that really crystallizes it for me with the Grom is that despite just 92 innings last year, he was the sixth ranked starter. Like that's insane by value uh, on the auction calculator over at Fangraphs in between Urias and Gosman, who put up 185 and 192 innings respectively, like his 92 innings. He was, he spotted them a hundred and he was still right there next to both Urias and Gosman. That's bananas. Like that's insane. He's nuts. The only thing that's a slight worry is if there is some kind of setback. He already had one of his rehab starts pushed back a little bit. When I take a look at the bat projections, they expect him to come back and be healthy. I don't know. Is the bat just all everybody or is Derek factor in if people are going to be hurt? Like how does the, how do injuries factor into those projections as far as you know? Because they, they think he'll come back with a 2-5 ERA start nine games, good strikeout numbers. Like how, how do you think that will work exactly? Yeah, I think that's, that's just kind of projecting him somewhat cautiously, right? Cause he doesn't even need to be back until I guess early or, or mid August, you can still get about nine starts. in. so I think that that's projecting pretty comfortably there to still give him some more run up of time for DeGrom to get healthy. And then, like I said, uh, you know, earlier, the projections agree that when DeGrom comes back, He's going to be a god, even if he's not last year's god. That's the beauty of last year. He has so much wiggle room to come down from there and still be absolutely studly. So, yeah, I think 50 to 60 innings of high quality work from DeGrom is what what you can expect. And that's why people have held him. You know, even in leagues where it's tough to hold injured guys, you don't let go of somebody like DeGrom because of the the impact he can do even in a month a month's worth of work. Yeah, he's going to be, if he comes back and healthy, he'll win a lot of teams' leagues, which is something Absolutely. that Fernando Tatis could also do on the hitting side. Or, or the next guy we're going to talk about when he does come back. Uh, which, which guy did you oh, want to I'm talk sorry. about? I'm sorry. I wasn't I'm, sure if we were going in. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I skipped a guy. Um, I thought Trout was next. but Qu- Oh, we Quan can do is. Trout. I think, well, we can do Trout well, next I, while we're I was just using it as a uh, as a segue because we're talking about guys who could help you when they come back. But you said, you know, what should we do with him? You know, I've really, there's no timetable. I have a hard time cutting him. I've been aggressive. Uh, sorry, that's my dog ringing his doorbell to go back out, even though he was just out 10 minutes ago. So he, he should not be doing that. But he just knows that if he rings it, he gets to go out. And he doesn't understand that if you just went out, you don't get to go right back out. My dog just, um, jump, my dog just jumps on the door and will scratch two-handed on the door like he's trying to escape. It's really that's funny. what we were stopping him from because he used to do that too. He likes to dive into the door like, hang on. So he learned the doorbell, but he almost learned it too well because uh, he rings it all the time. But with trout. <laughs> I've become a lot more aggressive in the last couple of years about cutting guys that have long-term injuries. This does not apply with Trout right now, though. And DeGrom was another one. Tatis was one that I wasn't drafting Tatis because I wasn't going to wait half a year for anybody. Um, I play mostly NFBC stuff where you only have seven reserves, no IL. Everything changes with IL, so I want to be clear on that. I play in a different league type for most of my leagues. Um, with Trout right now, with ILs, you don't have to worry about it. You put him on IL, he, he holds one of your IL spots for sure. In a main event situation where there is no IL, I think you're riding this out at least for another couple of weeks to see what's going on because there is no timetable right now and it's a little bit uncertain. 
I would not be ready to cut just yet because what if he's back on like August 5th or something, you know, two, two weeks or so from now, you can still get a lot of goodness from trout. So don't cut yet. Just ride it out. It's painful, but he's been Mike Trout. I mean, he's been elite when he's played. So it's not like you haven't gotten a great season from him. This is just part of the headache that's happened in the last several years with Trout is that he gets hurt. And, um, you know, hopefully it doesn't cost him a big portion of this season, but we're looking at another injury curb season by Trout here. And that's just kind of become the norm in his late twenties. How worried are you when he, before he went down uh, in July anyway, so he had 36 at bats, he struck out 18 times. How much does that kind of thing worry you? His average is a little bit lower than where we hoped it would be, 270. Like you said, yeah. no steals. How, how worried are we overall about his outlook, even for like a dynasty perspective? I mean, you can worry a bit about the lack of running. That's That's been there now, and I think he's just opted out of running. And that's what happens with a lot of guys, especially, you know, you get hurt running, that's it. Right. That, that's kind of the easy way to just quit doing it if you sustain a severe injury. But I think Byron Buxton's experiencing the same thing. And this is, this is not a new phenomenon. Guys starts, guys start as power speed guys as they get older and become more power producers in the middle of the lineup, moving from that one, two spot into that three, four spots of the lineup. They're going to start running less, plain and simple. And uh, again, especially if there's injury concerns. So with Trout and Dynasty, I still think he's so good that his, his, uh, Impact per plate appearance is still awesome, but no running and the injuries, he has to be down a bit. And I'd be interested to see like coming into this year or anybody that starts one up next year, where he goes in fresh start dynasties. Cause it's certainly not the first round. I don't even know if it's the second, it's probably like the third round, which seems crazy for Trout. I don't have a lot of dynasty experience, so I might be way off, but I think he's probably dipping down at least a couple rounds. I, I can't imagine he's a first rounder anymore for Trout. I think Eric Cross had him ranked like in the low teens, like 19, 18 okay, or so something about, like about that. Okay, so second round then. I think, and that was, I think, in the June uh, dynasty ranking. So next time, it'll, you have to assume he'll fall a little bit. Yeah. Might be, it might be able to get him at the beginning of the third round in a dynasty uh, start. And I would take that. I, I would be down to do that, take on the risks that come with it. Because we saw, you know, even with two lulls, right, he had the big uh trout had the big fall off like the worst streak that we've ever seen from him, a cold streak during their losing streak and then like you said this month has been horrible he has 39 plate appearances with a 481 ops we don't usually see that sort of stuff out of trout so i don't know if it's the rib cage playing a role the injury that he's out for but either way i don't worry about his talent his power is unquestioned his plate skills are unquestioned but he doesn't run anymore and the injuries are a real thing you gotta move trout down a bit would you be trying to trade him if you had him just on the name brand value alone? If I'm competing and I will take my discount and I'm always forthright on things like that. If I send an email blast out to a league on something like that, I'm going to include, Hey guys, I'm taking a discount right now. You don't have to come with the highest offer. I know he's injured. I know he's a little bit more flawed, play it above board there. Don't try to be looking like I'm snaking anybody trying to get full Mike Trout value from him. Just come in with a good offer and we can talk. That sounds very reasonable. We talked about a couple of elite players, maybe the best in baseball when healthy at their respective positions. Let's go a little more niche here and talk about someone who was a bit of an early season hero for me. And I think for a lot mm-hmm. of people, Stephen Kwan, recently, he's actually been pretty good. He hit a home run yesterday, and that's obviously not going to be a strength for him. He's only got two on the season, but the month of June, he batted 341. So far in July, he's batting 310. Do you think that there is value for a Stephen Kwan in, on fantasy teams, or is he not too interesting to you? 
So it's, you know, it's, it's empty batting average, uh, which does make it tough. You have to have a pretty specific need for Stephen Kwan, but there is a reason that I said he and Luis Arise are the same player. It's because they are the same player. Luis Arise was just maximizing what you can get out of that uh, player profile, whereas Kwan was more in, in the middle right now. And he had the bad May um, that really kind of sank his numbers a bit. He hit sub 200, which is really difficult for somebody like this who's got some speed, has great contact, but a 177 Babbitt will do that. Usually guys like that, you know, they kind of make their own Babbitt a little bit. Nothing was falling for him in May. Like you said, though. 341, 310 the next two months after the 354 in April. Quan looks back and you can certainly use that batting average. I prefer because guys like Quan wind up, you know, being churned around in, uh, I, I just, I made it sound like I said turned around in like a British accent there when I said churned around. I meant churned on and off your roster and then moved around the league is what I meant to say there. Um, I, I like guys like that because they become useful tools when you need batting average in season. I don't like to draft them because then you have to have your team make up to kind of compensate for their lack of power because they really, really hurt you with that, uh, with that lack of power and speed for Quan. He doesn't have any stolen bases really either. He's got two stolen bases in five attempts. So I like to insert those guys in special moments. I don't like to draft them, but his batting average is undeniably helpful. I think he's a better play in points leagues and OBP formats. He does walk quite a bit. He's only striking out 8% of the time. I think going forward, he can be maybe something like a Michael Brantley type. Like you said, Luis Arise. Somewhere yeah, Brantley in that build. Arise. By the way, he's six for eight. I was giving Arise's steal. I was on the wrong page there. Uh, Arise is two for five. Quan uh, uh, is six for eight. But even still, that's not enough speed to really move the needle for the power production or for the lack of power that you're getting at that spot. Yeah, all he's really giving you is runs and batting average, the odd steal. Uh, in a five outfielder format, would you maybe be a little more interested? Five outfielder, I can definitely you know see where Quan fits in. Again, same with a rise, but like obviously it's easy to sell a rise right now because again he's playing the he's maximizing what that skill set can do. But like coming into the year, I see them on similar values, and going into next year, I'm going to see them on similar values where they will fit in. You know where you have an MI spot where you can put a rise there or where you have a fifth outfielder. But if you are in a league where it's only three outfielders, no CI, no MI, I have a really tough time using those guys because you need so much power at every position to make up for taking them on. I think people don't acknowledge how much you have to make up the lack of RBIs and home runs from guys like that. They only see the goodness of the batting average. Yeah, it's true. It's kind of uh, empty calories there. I do like Stephen Kwan. I feel like He's it was maybe more of a good story at the beginning of the year than someone. It was who, fun. It was a lot of fun. It's kind of like uh, your mean Mercedes last year. Yes. So it was kind of similar where he has that hot first month. And Mercedes actually making a little bit of a comeback now, too, with the, uh, with with, the, Giants. With the Giants. Right. Yep. Actually, not doing too badly from what I remember looking at. But I hope that Quan can be something closer to maybe like a Michael Brantley. He had some more home runs. He's never been a big home run guy, but I think he can probably hit you. Seven to ten ish, maybe if he can do that, hit above three hundred. I think there there may be some hope for him down the line. He's still what is he twenty four? I, I like Stephen Kwan overall as a player. I like. I, I don't know. There's something about him. Maybe I'm just attached because he helped so many of my teams in the early part of the season. But I, I really like and players that. like that are fun though, and like a hit tool. There, there's something to be said. You know, a hit tool foundation 
is great to build off of. And you can emerge into power. And you talk about Michael Brantley as kind of the upside of this player profile. And I agree, you know, he has multiple 20 homer seasons and uh, several double digit home run seasons. And if those guys can even kind of get into that sort of level. Now he also, he being Brantley would also have some double digit steal seasons. So, you know, he kind of pushed the, the, the level there. Maybe if they can get into 2011, 2012, Michael Brantley, where you're looking at six, seven homers and then double digit steals, maybe that's where Quan can get. Then you're talking. Um, I don't know that he would necessarily push beyond that and get into the 20 homer power. But again, power can be taught. You don't need to be the biggest guy. If you can find the right leverage with your, you know, with your launch angle and all that, maybe a rise or Quan can be trained into like a 12 home run hitter. And that would make all the difference in the world. You go from being like a, a, you know, three to seven homer type guy to somebody who can deliver that low double digits. That is a big mover there that would really make them a lot more palatable in those shallow formats. I just always have affinities for guys who strike out less than they walk or in that same, same ballpark. It's just so attractive. Yep. That's forward. why I, I can't quit Bregman. And, you know, he hasn't had like the biggest bounce back year, but I'm not upset with buying back in on him, hoping that the wrist would be healthy. A little bit of the powers come back. It hasn't been great, but he's a one-to-one strikeout to walk guy. And I'm just always going to bet on a skill set like that. Yeah. I don't have it up in front of me, but I think Bregman's one of the worst BABIP guys this season too. Uh, I think he's probably a good buy right now. If you're, if you're in a trade, 250. Still. 250 for the way he's hitting is very low. Like everything that in his profile, his fly balls are up a little bit, four points to 45%. That's a little high, but still under that 50% mark. It is low. It is a low Babbitt for, uh, for Bregman right now. It's a career low. 286 is his average, uh, is his career mark. So yeah, there could be some batting average there. And if Bregman can hit 270 the rest of the way with some pop and a buttload of runs on Houston, he can be a really nice player down the stretch. So don't, don't be afraid to, you know, it's not like buying low. You're not getting a massive discount on him, but you buy guys like that that are doing just fine, but could excel where they're, where they've been uh, for the last two months of the season. I think Bregman's a good call out there. Yeah. I was saying that about uh, Juan Soto a few weeks ago, that it's not mm-hmm. your classic dirt cheap buy low, but is he going to be cheaper now than he was in March? Well, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Let's mix it up a little bit here. Let's talk about a recently recalled prospect for the Marlins. I really like J.J. Bleday. I should have said it off the top. J.J. Bleday. been Me watching too. him since the Vanderbilt days. He's a lot of fun. He's been pretty good in the minors. He got recalled, and I believe he stole a base, went two for four yesterday uh, in his second game. Do you think that he is worth an, a speculative ad, or is he more of like a deep league dynasty guy for you right now? He's probably more 15 team mixer, uh, maybe 12 if you have a need for five outfits. I love Bladé as well. I'm, I'm happy to be talking to a fellow Bladé fan. We are, we are not, uh, a large fan base there. I, I don't, I don't get a lot of love for Bladé in the uh, fantasy world, in the prospect world. He's just kind of, eh, people don't like him as much. I like him too. I, I was a big fan coming out of Andy and then, you know, reignited my love for him in the fall league when he popped off this past season down there and ended up getting co-player of the, uh, you know, co-MVP with Juan Yepes down there. And we've seen what Yepes can do in the majors. I'm not saying that makes them a one-to-one or anything, but the power's there for Bladé. It all comes down to the swing and miss, Joe. And I'm sure you realize this as a Bladé fan. 27% at AAA, that's that's high. And generally, you, you bump up somebody's strikeout rate a few points when they come to the majors just by virtue of it being more difficult. So that if he's over 30, 
that is troublesome. That is my main concern. Can he be more in that 25% and lower range? If he can live there, I think we could have a nice power bat with Bleday. They need a little offensive infusion. That's a difficult park, but I can't wait to see what he does. And he gets to go to Cincy for four games to start off the week. Although um, the first one tonight is against the lefty. So he might not start against Lodolo, but then Green, Castillo, and Ashcraft. He's going to hit his first homer ever against uh, Hunter Green this week. When I look at his batting average in college, he was a 326 hitter. So far in the minors, he's a 225 hitter. Which side of that spectrum would you lean towards? Is he closer to a 300 guy or closer to like a two low twos guy? Closer to the lower one with the swing and miss right now, but not that low, I don't believe. He's ran he's ran pretty low BABIPs, and I can't prove this. So this is this is speculation. This is trying to like uh, uh, project a little bit on what's going on. I, I think he might be one of those a little bit bored in the minors guys mm. that maybe felt like he didn't have to go to high A and double A. Maybe should have been like in triple A. I'm not saying he's got attitude problems or anything like that. I don't know, but remember how the prospect hype had really dwindled on Jonathan India. And then he came up and he was great. Now he's had a tough year this year, but it's been injury addled. So I don't think last year was a fluke that this year is being, that this year is exposing. I think this year has been injury, but look what he did last year and look what his minor league trajectory was. I wonder if Bleday is similar where we kind of forget about him a little bit. Was he overdrafted from a power school? And then he gets to the majors and shows, Hey, I was maybe sandbagging a little bit in the minors, which is not a good thing to do, but you know, sometimes you just kind of don't give your best effort. Now that he's in the majors, I'm eager to see what he can do. And it's all going to be on that strikeout rate for Blade for me. If it's, like I said, 25 and under, he can be a really solid player. If it's in the upper 20s, low 30s, he's going to struggle as an all or nothing power guy. I was looking back at that 2019 draft just uh, last night, getting ready for this. That was a stacked draft. I don't know if it's it just me. absolutely but- was. Rutschman, Witt, and Vaughn was the top three. And then Blade, Riley Green. C.J. Abrams, Nick Lodolo, Alec Manoa, like George Kirby. This is just the first round. And then when and you, like, Young would be killing it. Josh Young, whose yeah. brother went to my Tigers uh, just this year. Josh Young would be in killing it, I think, with the Rangers if he hadn't broken his foot. Shane Langoliers, who went nine, is in the minors knocking on the door. And once they trade Sean Murphy, he's going to be up and ready to go. I remember being so bummed that Andrew Vaughn didn't fall. It wasn't anti-Riley Green and just was so obsessed with Andrew Vaughn. I hoped that he would fall because there was some, there was a little bit of negative chatter on him toward the very end of the uh, draft or right before the draft started. So I was like, maybe he could fall down to five, but the Tigers got Riley Green. So there was a no miss pick there between Vaughn and Green. It looks like both of them look awesome. Even when you go down further, Anthony Volpe, you have Gunnar Henderson. It's just, it's looking like one of the best drafts in, in the last it really few years. is. It's been fantastic. Let's maybe switch gears to something a little bit less fantastic, which is Ian Anderson. It's been, you know, before really looking into this, I saw him get roughed around yesterday and I said, okay, let's, let's chat up Paul on Anderson. I'd assumed that he'd missed some time this season. It just feels like he hasn't been there the whole time, but he started 19 games. It's just been awful for him. Do you think, do you think that this is just a lost season and he needs to hit the reset button in the off season or is he a prime like buy low for you right now? I wouldn't touch him. I wouldn't come close to him. I, I cut him in my main event after the last seven earned run outing, which was at Philly on, on June 30th. And then he went out and put up one, two and one earned runs. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like you gotta be kidding me. Uh, it was a two thirty ERA, but with a one forty seven whip. So I was still like, this is still BS. So I didn't run back out to try to rebuy him or anything. I said, that's somebody else's problem. And lo and behold, it took four starts 
But that fourth one, now his ERA in the last four starts is 530. So that one bad start erased all the good work of the other three. And it wasn't even that good of work. Like I said, the whip was still a problem. He's just not ready. And, you know, it's a phrase that I did not coin, but I like to spread around the, the fantasy community. Prospect growth is not linear. Mm. Uh, you don't just have to go on that roller coaster like, up. you know, you can go up and down. You can go be an EKG before you kind of settle yourself and plateau. And he's 24 years old and he was very good last year. And he had a really strong playoff, if I recall correctly, as well in that World Series run. And so there was excitement about him. And I understood that excitement. I shared in that excitement, but he's just not ready. A lot of us that were buying in were hoping that two things could happen. He could push his strikeouts up and bring his walks down. Two things that looked certainly p- p- possible, uh, not guarantees, but possible. Neither has happened. He's gone the other way on both 19% K, 11% walk, uh, too many hits as well, just too hittable. He's just not there yet. And uh, I don't know that he necessarily needs a, a send down, although they might need to take him out of the rotation for their own playoff hopes, right? I don't know that they can necessarily let him work through this um, on the fly here. He might need a little bit of a two-week head clearer down in AAA for Ian Anderson, but it's bad right now. I still like him long-term, but for this year, I'm out. I'm cutting him across all redraft formats. Dynasties and keepers, we're not making any moves yet or anything like that, but for this year, I'm out on, on uh, Ian Anderson. And Anderson struggling like that, just thinking about it, there's been so much talk about Spencer Strider's innings being limited. Maybe if they do have to send him down, go with a Kyle Muller or somebody like that, maybe we don't see Strider limited so much because he's just been They might not be able to. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I totally agree with that. My rookie of the year bet would certainly be appreciative of that if that is. Oh, you guys, you got a rookie of the year bet on Strider. I love that. I got him at 14 to one. That's, that's fantastic. And, you know, you highlight a great point of why I rarely get too hung up on the innings limit stuff until August, because we don't know. We have no idea. We guess on all of it. We have no concrete info, even in the uh, last year when we had some info coming off 2020 of like teams are going to try to be around this sort of nebulous mark. It was still all team dependent. You know, if the Braves like lose 10 in a row for some reason and things start to be a, a little bit of a different outlook, maybe things will change. But no, they're right in the mix. They're a half game behind the Mets. Can they even pu- put the full breaks on Strider? I doubt it. Maybe an extra day off here and there to kind of stretch things out a little bit. But I'd be really surprised if they are able to fully downshift his innings. Um, and I totally agree on Kyle Muller. You mentioned his name in passing. Go speculate on him in deeper formats where he's still available. 12 team might be the the shallowest I would go with that. And you'd have to be pretty desperate for pitching because he's not even up yet. But I do like the spec that that Kyle Muller could come up and take uh, Ian Anderson's spot because he's just been dreadful. Well, we saw it earlier in the year. We think things are set in stone. And the Angels, <clears throat> excuse me, earlier in the year, the Angels looked like they were a, sh- a pretty decent bet to win the West. They were thriving for the first while. And then it all felt to shit because it did. Hard, hard to say exactly what a lot happened. of things, everything went wrong. Like it was happened. one of those sideways things. And Joe Madden took all the blame for it. And they've been even worse since he's been gone. So it's hard mm-hmm. to say, hard to say that he was really the problem there. And I'll use that as a bit of a segue here to go into, uh, well, in one second, I will. Speaking of just things that kind of <clears throat> hit you the wrong way, David Peterson coming out of the bullpen last night really stung. I was hoping that he'd stay in the rotation, but that I, one. I, I was hoping for that too, by the way. He's been my, my buddy Greg actually put me on him. He's a Mets fan. He's like, Y'all pick him up. He's he's got some good stuff going. And I was like, Okay, cool. And it had been it, it's been good. But yeah, now out of the bullpen here, we'll, we'll see what happens, right? Like that's not like 
the Mets rotation is locked, loaded, and, and untouchable. Like, uh, you know, they've got a lot of old guys there. They've got some instability with guys like Carrasco. So we'll see what happens. It's like all old guys pretty much between Scherzer and DeGrom and Carlos yeah, Carrasco. Ty- Taiwan Walker's the baby at yeah. 30. Yeah. Exactly. And when you see Peterson, what he's done with the strikeouts recently, I thought he'd have a chance of staying in the rotation, but agreed to no avail there. So my poorly executed segue into the <laughs> Angels will lead us to Reed Detmers, who's actually been fantastic these last couple of times out since being recalled. Do you think that there is, well, do you think he's a must roster player right now down the stretch, first of all? Uh, yeah, I'd pick him up in every league right now just because of, of how great the three starts have gone. First off, it's been a nightmare out there streaming this year any format uh, you know I, I i have i have the range from 10 to 15 as far as i got a 10 team i got a couple 12 teamers and i got a bunch of 15 teamers so I'm, I'm able to see the pools across all formats streaming has been a nightmare this year so yes he's an instant pickup across all formats if he's even still available if in your 10s and 12s with detmers i was talking to you offline you saw my my tweet to michael Simeone. I cut him earlier this year and I don't regret the cut. I, I stand by it. It was one of those where I'm cutting and I'm saying, you know, he could become a summer breakout, but I have to, I have to move on right now. It's just not working. He got sent out, et cetera, et cetera. And of course he's come back and he's been great. And it's a bummer because you, you even, like I said, you even know when you're making the cut, like this could come back and, and go the other way, but I have to make the move right now. Uh, I loved him coming into the year. I, I was trying to get Detmers everywhere. I was like, he's a breakout. He's a breakout. The no hitter was actually telling in the wrong way. I was like, that was one of the weaker no hitters. I'm not sold that yeah. he's ready to be a strikeout guy yet. And he wasn't. And that's why he got sent down. He's come back, struck out seven, six, and six. And as I'm sure you know, the minor league outing that he did have, he struck out like nine million. He struck out 14 in six innings. So we've seen Detmers get in his strikeout groove right now. And that's what makes him must pick up across all formats, at least for now. And we kind of see where it goes from here. That Simeon tweet, just talking about those three starts since coming back, 17 innings, 1.06 ERA, 0.94 whip, 29 strikeout percentage. He's using his slider quite a bit more. Is that something that you have noticed? I mean, he's, he's throwing Absolutely. it more and he's throwing, he's throwing it harder as well. Exactly. That that's that's the real big thing is that he's getting into strikeouts more. And this is something that we see with young young starters. A lot of times guys are just trying to survive when they get called up, right? I just got to get outs. I'll get those outs wherever I can get them. Strikeouts be damned. Um, and I think that's kind of what we were seeing with Detmers. I'm just here to survive. Well, as he sort of found his footing a little bit over those first 10, 12 starts, he started to kind of figure out, okay, I, I think I've got a little hang of this. Like I said, he then did have to get the send down uh, after the outings against the Dodgers and Royals, but he struck out six in both of those as well. So it was already starting to come a little bit. He goes down to the minors briefly. And something's clicked where he's changed the pitch mix. And now we're starting to see the swing and miss. And that was the thing that was missing when, when people cut Detmers, because I certainly wasn't the only one, he had a 466 ERA and a trip to AAA on, on, on tap. I think a lot of us cut him because the swing and miss wasn't there. The slider has been a huge part of this swing and miss, and that's why he's so much more believable right now with Reed Detmers uh, playing very well and missing a ton of bats since coming back. One thing that's interesting, uh, you're saying if he's still available, he is still available. I play in a lot of Yahoo leagues. He's only 17% rostered. On oh, Yahoo. wow. Yeah, yeah, then he needs to be picked up. I mean, because again, worst case is he maybe comes back down to earth and you cut him. But because there's been nothing on streaming, I don't know how he's that available. You know, Justin and I like to say this phrase for 10s and 12s uh, that he might not need to be on your roster. You might have too good of a roster, but he should be on somebody's. And that's where how I feel about Detmers in a 10 or 12. You might have too good of pitching. Maybe you hit on like, a, you know, a, a Kyle Wright 
uh, on the low end or who's another guy that, or, and Spencer Strider, a couple Braves there, but also your studs are popping off. So you have deep pitching. So maybe you can't roster Reed Detmers, but somebody in a 10 and somebody in every 12 can use Reed Detmers. He should not be 17%. In those kind of, in those kind of situations where you have too many guys on your team that are already well worth a roster spot. And there's somebody also on waivers who is also worth rostering. Would you try and make some kind of like two for one swap and clear up a space? I try. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do try. It's not as easy, you know, as just saying do that. So I always try not to give that as advice to people. I find that to be, um, unfulfilling fantasy advice when we just say, Hey, just trade somebody. Cause it's not easy to trade. Yeah. So I like to use that as like, yes, I would do that if I could. But if not, then maybe you got to let somebody else get Detmers. But if you can make a nice little two for one, consolidate your talent. That's why usually in tens and twelves, you're going to see people lean toward the the um, consolidation side, the one player side or the two player side. If they're giving four, you want to trade up and, and consolidate your talent, so then you can play on the waiver wire and get the Reed Detmerses of the world. Yeah, and another thing, when you're making those two for one trades, usually the player getting or the person getting the best player in that trade is winning the trade when you're giving up two usually you're going to be getting back the one best player in that trade so yep. as tough as they are uh to pull off i know i've pulled off i think across all my leagues i think one trade this whole season they're not easy have you pulled off it's any trades easy. this year yep. I have not. And I only play a couple of trading leagues. NFBC isn't trade, but I have yeah. other leagues. I pulled off a couple, but it's hard. It takes a lot of effort and time. And I, I respect that. But I, I think that that's why I don't play as many trade leagues because I can't be as active there. And in some leagues, you need to be trading to win them. So if it, I can't be in too many trade leagues because I will fall behind because I don't have the time to kind of have those conversations and get in there and really, and really hammer out the deals. Yeah. There's, there's just. Too much stuff going on, especially in daily changes, trying to keep track of everything across different sites. It's, it's a lot of stuff going on. Yes. One last player that we have to talk about today, and I think it's fitting. You guys know I'm Canadian, Paul. You know I'm from Toronto, right? We are going to talk about a fellow Torontonian here. Joey Torontonian. Rado. I didn't know that that's how you would say that. It it's, sense, not, but it's, I, not, it's not so common around here. We kind of use that one, but it doesn't exactly flow off the tongue there. Uh, I like jo- it. Joey Votto. Joey Votto. We actually played for a couple of the same minor minor league teams around here. Not minor league, but junior kids teams essentially here in Toronto. That's pretty dope. At different different time periods. Obviously, he's older than I am, but very cool to have worn the same uh, the same little jersey there that Joey Votto did. He is. I don't even know the right word here. He's struggling, but it's like this is the worst season he's really ever had in his career. Mm-hmm. I've been hesitant to cut. I did cut, and then I picked him back up again. And now, like, I just don't even know what to do with him. Help me figure out Joey Votto. Yeah, it, it, it is really tough too because uh, I, I adore Joey Votto. He's one of my favorite players in in baseball. Just just full stop there. You know, if you if you kind of lop off April, it looks a lot better. But we're back in another lull here in July. And the problem that we've started to see with, with Votto is that his down periods are very, very bad. Uh, like, uh, you know, impossibly bad. Again, he had a 434 OPS in April. So that's when he was starting to get cut. Then 1034 and 856 in May and June, then back to 588 in July. So those two bookends of April and July really undercut the May and June. And that's how you wind up with a 713 right now. Uh, the, the bad work is actually doing more harm than the good work is sustaining. I think in tens, he's very cuttable. Uh, you better have a CI or, or, or a, a, a utility spot. Uh, but if you just have first base, I, I can't see how uh, he's rosterable in tens. Twelves, it's pretty fringe. Uh, if you have a spot where you can hold him and you want to see if he gets back out of this again, 
I understand. But the biggest issue with Votto that, that we don't see as often, the strikeouts. Um, I mean, you just look over his last, uh, let's see here, this is like his last 20 games. Votto has, like, I just don't know how many runs of 20 games with 85 strikeouts he has. That's a 31% K rate over his last 20 games and sub 300 OBP as well. He's just not the same guy. He is selling out for power. Votto is. It hasn't been at the same clip this year at all. He's 38. I think he's cuttable in a lot of formats. 15s are about the only one where I think I probably have to hold him because I don't know if there's anything better on the wire. But I mean, if there's some guys out there that I would probably cut him to pick up at this point, I'd have to look to see what names I would. But Votto, as much as I love him, we have to sometimes move on from our, uh, our, our love and fandom of a player to make sure we make the right fantasy move. And I think the right fantasy move right now is to move on from Votto. At 38 years old, uh, you're, you're bound to see decline. And this is the worst walk percentage that he's ever had over the course of a season, 11.8. And also the highest the strikeout fact that that's rate. his worst is hilarious, by the I way. I know, I know. 12% strike walk rate is so good, and that's his worst. I know. And he's 26% strikeout, which is his worst, which is fairly like by 3% his worst that he's ever had in the season. So there might be a bit of a decline. He also has the lowest BABIP that he's ever had in his career for what it's mm-hmm. worth. It's only at 274. For the career, his BABIP is 340. Ridiculous. But over the rest of the season, the Bat X has him projected for, I believe, 10 home, where is it? Uh, 10 home runs, 10, 30, 10 33 homers. RBIs. That's not terrible. You know, it's it's serviceable, I think, if, that, if he does live up to that. If he, mm-hmm. he and, and he can, like... Like, I think he can get back out of it and, and, and figure out a way to get there for Votto. But at this point, again, tens and twelves specifically, you're probably going to find something better on your wire. I'm looking right now at bad, bad X rest of season that you cited to see where that ranks amongst first basemen. So you got 15, 14, 13, 12, and 11. So that's, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine guys have. 11 or more. So he's tied with a cluster that have 10 with Rizzo, Christian Walker, and Ryan Mountcastle. So he's in that cluster of guys for Votto. That's where the bad X has him. But I mean, I'll tell you what I would do right now. If Brandon Belt were available, I'd take Belt over Votto on the wire. What about you? Yeah, I think I would take Belt. You mentioned Christian Walker. I would take Christian Walker over him in a heartbeat as well. If he's he's available, I would too. Uh, I would also take, you know, a couple guys even lower on this list, like my boy Nathaniel Lowe, I wish yeah. he could figure out how to lift the ball a little bit more, but I think I'd take him over Votto. Um, I think, you know, I don't think Josh Naylor should be all that available anymore. You can let me know if he is in shallower formats, but I would definitely take him over Votto right now. I, I, again, I don't think, I think he got picked up quite a bit. Naylor's up to 49% rostered in okay. the Yahoo, so Yahoo leagues. Still a coin flip chance that he's available. I would absolutely take him over Votto. Again, adore the player. But one of the things that we know is that like, once you get past age 35, there doesn't have to be uh, any sort of warning for the decline. Not to mention the fact that he has kind of had a warning. He hasn't been himself outside of last year. Votto was already kind of declining. So he's kind of just picked up where 2020 left off. And I'm not sure it's going to bounce back. Yeah. Last year, maybe if you look at the, the whole season, uh, the overall, some of it is boosted up a little bit by that hot streak he went on where he homered and what was it, ten, eight, nine straight games or something like oh, that? Oh, God, yes. That was that was incredible. That gave him a huge boost for sure. And the, with Josh Naylor, just a quick point. Another Canadian who I actually saw play when he played the, for the Ontario Blue Jays. I love Josh Naylor. Like, was, a, was he crazy? Like, still had that same hype that he has now? He wasn't like, like, he, he, wasn't like he wasn't like this from what I saw. I saw him play two games. He wasn't like this. But uh, he, he definitely had a, a certain 
what's the right word? I'm Je ne sais quoi. Yeah, there was something about him. Like he was very, maybe not cocky. It's hard to say. He was so young, right? He was like 16, maybe 17. So there was definitely a hint of something there, but you wouldn't have thought that he'd be the guy. Like, what was that game? He hit the walk off and he was smashing his head with the helmet. He's done multiple things similar to that too. Like he's kind of leaned into that hype role, which I like. And I see what you're saying. You're you're hesitant to say cocky because you're like, there's a self-assuredness that isn't cocky, but you're like, that's the only word you can kind of think of. It's like, he's backing it up, you know? I, I, I didn't play anything particularly competitive. My, it was clear where my athletic skill was pretty early. I moved from Michigan to Texas, could not hang in Texas football. So I ended football my freshman year and then ended baseball after my freshman year. I was, I call myself high school Jeff Mathis, basically. I couldn't hit, but I could catch like a, <laughs> like an MF or, uh, so, you know, but I, I understand, you know, being around talents that were, uh, very good and they, they had this air about them that was like, you want to, again, you want to label it cocky, but it was just like, no, they just knew they were good and they were okay talking about it. They weren't rubbing it in your face. They weren't a-holes or anything. So I don't know if that's the vibe that you're saying Naylor had, but I know that sort of vibe where it's like, it's not quite cocky. It's not arrogant, but it is definitely confident in their awesomeness. Yeah, it was definitely, he knew that he was good and he knew that he was probably the best player on that field, probably definitely the best. Player and I'm okay that with that, right? Yeah. I'm okay with somebody kind of like acknowledging that. And, you know, I don't like false humility, to be honest. I, I don't really like when people who are amazing are like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm garbage, blah, blah, blah. You can be, you can have humility, but false humility, you can go too far with it. Right. Yeah, so I, I don't mind acknowledging that you're actually awesome. Either end of the spectrum. If you go too far in it, you've lost me. If you're going out there saying how great yep. you are, the real great ones don't have to go out there and say how great they are. Exactly. You know? It's very exactly. self-evident. On the other side, if you're going out there and saying, obviously saying, oh, I'm terrible or whatever. Oh, shucks. Or, I'm no good. Yeah. yeah and you got like, like a 400 bat, uh, OBP or something. It's like, shut. Yeah. It's like you're going to the bigs. You're you're more than okay. Another thing that separates Naylor from Votto is he's eligible in the outfield. So you can yes. fix him up a little bit there as well. Anything else you wanted to throw out there? We're talking about big news of the day. Is there anything that particularly struck you when you were going through the, the I'm news? I'm pretty good. I, I think we've, I think we've covered a, a nice bit. I guess we'll have to do the, I'm sure you've done it a bunch because this is a, a daily show, correct? Yeah. Um, the, the, uh, the obligatory Juan Soto where, and where we're at with him. Uh, I don't know where you guys last spoke about him, but you know, we had more over the weekend. Do you think, I guess I'll just ask you, do you think this gets done? Has anything moved the needle? Do you think it gets done before the deadline well, it's of funny. this year? It's funny because when Justin was on last Wednesday, was it Wednesday? Yeah, it was Wednesday. It was a predict. We were just making predictions for the second half, shooting out mm-hmm. some, some hot takes might be too strong, but just some bold predictions. And I was saying that I don't think a Juan Soto deal is going to get done before the deadline. I think that completely agree by the I way. Think, I think he'll finish out the year in Washington. And if something of this magnitude is going to get worked out, it's more of an off season. Take your time, not just cram it in to get it done when all the hype is around here. Some, of the, agree. Pack- some of the packages going around for him. Some of them are insultingly low. I don't think that Washington's going to move off of him just for, you know, a few decent prospects. And it's, some of these fan bases are so delusional. I wouldn't give up so-and-so for Juan Soto. It's like, yes, there is no prospect you wouldn't give up. And, and, and if you think that, then you're stupid. I'm sorry. Like, you know, I'm always open for debates on things. Some things are undebatable. There is no prospect that you should say you would not give up for, especially a single prospect. Now, if you're a team that has a rich system and you're saying we wouldn't give up our top, three or something like that 
Okay. I understand maybe balking a little bit at that. Cause the tough part is like, you know, do you give Noelve Marte, George Kirby and Emerson Hancock and then pay 450 mil? That part I understand, but I would give Noelve Marte as a, as a headliner in an instant for, for uh, Juan Soto. So uh, any single prospect, if you're St. Louis fan, you say you wouldn't give Jordan Walker. You're a moron. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> like you're an idiot. Because what is the best, best case for Jordan Walker to become one freaking so like, that's the thing he's fully formed. He is one of the best players in the league. Anybody you're trading can only dream to become what he is. So of course you have to do it. Um, When it does get done, do you think it does get mitigated by like including Corbin to take his money? Um, because I tend to think it will only because an actual Juan Soto deal, you can't really give his true value without giving like five big time prospects. So do you think a, a Corbin deal has to get mixed in there and, and put that extra 60 mil in there? Uh, or can it get done with just Soto? If I'm a team and that's if Washington is saying you have to take Patrick Corbin for what is it two years left on his deal? Is it yeah, it'd be next year and the and the year after for about about sixty mil, fifty five, sixty mil. So I'm a Jays fan, so I'll use the Jays as an example. We have to take yeah. on let's say we take Patrick Corbin and Juan Soto and we have to give up two two fewer prospects in exchange for Patrick Corbin. Yeah. I think I'm probably doing that. If you're talking about one of our top five guys, whether it's Tideman or Gabriel Moreno or well Moreno, I'm fairly okay to move on from because of Alejandro Kirk and how he's done. Exactly. Where your catchers are. I think a Toronto deal definitely includes Moreno. What about like Moreno? Tideman and Martinez. and Arelvis. But then they say, Corbin, you can take out Arelvis or Tideman and we're going to add some lower end guys type of deal. Because that's how I think it's going to go. I'd be more than okay to do that. Now, when they start saying... Bo Bichette, Tideman, Martinez. And it's like, then it's like, ah, okay, we're, maybe we're pushing it a little bit here, especially if I heard Vladdy's name. Like someone was like, why don't we just swap Vladdy for Soto one for one? What's the it's point? Like, why would you do that? You know, what, what's like, the point? Yeah. The point is to add him to the guys that y'all have. I don't even think Bichette necessarily makes sense. No. I honestly, for Toronto specifically, what Pete Walker's been able to do. And just the fact that I'm not sold that Corbin is totally toast. I actually think you guys could maybe turn him into something too. Not, I'm not going to go right to the Robbie Ray thing, because that's, you know, that, that, that's a miracle. Like that doesn't happen very often to turn a guy into a Cy Young like that, but to get him back to being capable, even getting back to like 2020 level of 466 ERA type deal with like a better whip though. 157 whip for Corbin was too high, but if he's like a 450 ERA 130 whip, you guys could put that as your fifth starter. So Pete Walker and them can maybe even get something out of Corbin to mid, to make that deal even more useful on that end of it. But yeah, I'm with you. I don't think it gets done right now. I think Boris is the one pushing those rumors to try to get it done by the deadline. I think it gets done in this off season though. Patrick Corbin, you know, he's not as bad as you might think he is. And people are probably like killing themselves laughing as I say that, but he has a, you're six, right though. He's a six zero two ERA and his XFIP is 3.98. That's not mm-hmm. that bad at all. It's really not. It's, it's the blow up starts like they're, yeah. they're, they're devastating. And, you know, it, we were talking about it in the hit, a hitting context where um, Votto's bad months have cur- canceled out his good work. Well, with pitchers, it's even, it's even more robust. And I mentioned it with Ian Anderson, right? One bad start can cancel out two, three good ones. So he does have some really good starts, uh, Patrick Corbin does. But he's got five killers on his ledger right now that he just can't outrun. So he has a 6.02 ERA. But I agree with you. Like He's just not 
that bad. He's not as bad as we instantly associate with his numbers because he's also piling up the L's because yep. he's on uh, uh, Washington too, right? So it kind of compounds it, even though we don't judge things off win-loss record. The fact that he's led the league in L's the last two years only makes it worse. 51 starts, 29 losses. That's <laughs> that's awful. That's that's it's not just good. terrible. It's he's not, not that he's not that bad. You know, you remember no. those years, some of those years in Arizona, even his first year in Washington was a three two five ERA. Like mm-hmm. he's a lot better than this. And he's not that old. He's what is he? He's thirty three. Okay? I mean thirty three is like but young. but he's he stayed healthy the last two years, though, too. You would have thought if I told you that he was going to fall apart after 2019, the first thing you'd have probably gone to was health. You say, oh, OK, you know, he's dealing with some injuries and things don't go well for Patrick Corbett. It hasn't been that. It does seem like there is something fixable, though. Like, OK, in 2020, he allowed the most hits. Now, that wasn't even a season, but for, for the two months, he allowed the most hits. Then last year, he allowed the most earned runs and, and the NL's most homers. This year, it's the most hits and the most earned runs. So it's like. He's just too hittable, but there's something there every once in a while that if the right pitching coach can get it, if Corbin is included in a Soto deal, it could end up being that he outperforms and really turns that Soto deal into something special for a team because not only did they get the best hitter in baseball, but they also got a useful pitcher if a team is able to turn Corbin around. Yeah, I I still think it's a long shot. Now, what I was Absolutely. hearing over the weekend is that I think it's the Padres and the Cardinals are the ones, and who knows what's true you see on Twitter. I have no idea what's exactly. true anymore. Those teams are rumored to be interested. San Diego gets them. That lineup would be very, very scary. I think they'd probably have to give up Abrams and Gore and probably some other pieces. But whatever happens, it's it's going to shake up baseball. And I've heard some some rumors with the Red Sox, with what the Jays did to them over the last couple of days, that oh they're going to just tear it all down. And it went from on Thursday of, who should we add to this core? And now it's, are we keeping Devers? It's like, exactly. <laughs> for three days. What a difference a, a weekend makes, right? You know, you give up four touchdowns to a team and all of a sudden things are looking uh, the other way. You know, they've, they've dealt with a rash of injuries. Listen, I'm not trying to kick the Red Sox when they're down, but I guess I will. I never believed in their pitching. So I was kind of waiting for this to happen in a, in a weird way because I just, again, I just didn't buy that their pitching could sustain and now they're getting the offensive injuries with story endeavors and uh, on the il so yeah they gotta they gotta reconsider some things for sure i will say even though you and i both agree that the the soto deal isn't going to happen this year at the deadline i think we're both pulling for it though right like i would i would love if it happens i just in my heart of hearts don't think it gets done as a jays fan if he goes to the yankees i'll be pretty disheartened but if it happens True. anywhere else, anywhere else but the yankees i'll be all for it that would be cool yeah. sorry to any new yorkers listening but i mean you guys if you add soto to that lineup it's like what the hell like <laughs> it's not fair it's not no your lineup's just too good you can't you can't have them yankees get, get somebody else you cannot have them i mean if they pay the right price obviously of course they can get them but uh, they're, they're another organization. Their fans are prospect hugging. I've seen the whole, we, oh. I wouldn't give Volpe for Soto. Okay. Again, I'll say the same thing I said for Cardinals fans with Jordan Walker. You're stupid then. That's insane. That's an insane take. Would you give Volpe and Dominguez? I would. Yeah. Yeah. I, I absolutely would. And, um, you know, it, I, I'm, I'm always going to be more open to those deals because I'm a Tigers fan. And what was the biggest deal that turned their organization? Maven and Miller for Miggy. Now, neither Maven nor Miller worked out for the Marlins. They each had success down the road that wasn't with the Marlins. And it could be too great. Like, you know, prospects pan out sometimes too. Even if Maven and Miller had been as good as expected, the Tigers still would have been perfectly comfortable with that deal because they got a generational hitter. That's what you're going to see here with a Soto deal. If the prospects work out for the team in question or for the Nats, good thumbs up, cool. 
So you're getting Soto. So I totally uh, would be down with that. Uh, Volpe and Dominguez, I can 1000% get behind that. And if that would help me avoid having to do the Corbin thing, I'd be open to that too. Like I would, I would include two higher end guys if I could avoid giving, doing the Corbin thing. Cause I know that the Yankees are trying to avoid that luxury taxing. Now, I do not care about the Yankees finances. They should spend as much as they can. I don't care about them saving money, but realistically, I think that they would try to avoid the Corbin thing because of how, how much they've tried to stay under that luxury tax. I would just hate to see a deal not work out for any fan base because their owners don't want to throw out the dough. I think you might see exactly. someone like Steve Cohen really make a push for him and just not care. He'll give him 500, 600 million, whatever he wants, blank check yep. essentially. So I feel like one of those heavy spenders is more likely to get it done. I, I don't know. It's, it's going to be, it's going like to be an overpay. It's going to be an interesting week. Not even an overpay, just like give them what they want right away, get it done. Especially, you know, the Mets are the team. It's a good call with Cohen there that could get it done at the, at this deadline because they, they get so aggro. And we've seen Cohen when he wants something, he goes out and gets it. So if he says, get Soto done, then wave bye bye to Francisco Alvarez and Ronnie Mauricio and, and Mark Vientos or whatever. You know, it's going to be Beatty might be in there too. I think two of Alvarez, Beatty, Mauricio would probably be included. And they just drafted Parada. So they're not going to be as mm-hmm. attached to Alvarez as they would have been maybe a couple of weeks ago. Been great talking with great you. It's been, it's been great to meet you. Great to talk with you here. I really appreciate you hopping on. Same, Joe. And I'd love to have you back on. We'll have you on the sleeper in the bus since you had Justin and I, and we'll have you on. So we'll be in touch for that down the line. Absolutely, that sounds great. You guys do it what every twice a week? Yeah, we do. We do um, Tuesday and Friday together, and then he does a Sunday episode with J- Jason regularly, and I oftentimes do a solo episode in the middle of the week. So we'll get you on for sure and uh, chop it up. Maybe after the deadline, we'll see what happens with your Jason yeah, and everything. Cool. There'll be a lot of stuff to chew on. I hope anyway for both of us. We're both doing yeah, deadline so. shows. I hope we have some uh, mm-hmm. some stuff to fill the time there. Why don't you just tell everybody just quickly one more time? You're on Twitter at Spore. Just give them just a little bit of a breakdown about what you do over at Fangraphs and sure. whatnot. Sure. So I've been doing my my uh, box score bits column this year as a way to kind of dive in, mostly focus on the pitchers of the night, and you know really give some tangible fantasy advice on guys, not just say, "Oh, this guy did well." Who cares? Try to tell you what's coming up in the future for them, where I'm starting them, where I'm cutting them. That's been the main thrust of my writing this year. Along with the podcast, I stream five, six days a week at twitch, twitch.tv slash sport. And that's a lot of different things, including a three times a week morning show where I go over the box scores of the night on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So come check those out in the morning or video games at night on twitch, twitch.tv slash sport. It's fun, man. I watch you on Twitch every now and again. Just put it on in the background. It's a lot of fun. I love the show. So it. just have a little bit of uh, the show plus the show plus some right. extras. Some and that's, extras. that's how I learned about it. Right. I, I was playing the show and I, Oh, what's this Twitch thing? I love having it on one screen while I'm playing a video game on the other. I was like, well, I can maybe do this. And you know, then uh, a stream was born many moons ago. So I appreciate you checking it out. Thanks. My, my parents walk into the room and they say, so you're watching somebody else play video, play games. video games. Yes. It's like, yeah, yes. that's, that's, that's correct. Yeah. Yes. So <laughs> my dad had the same thing. And, and I said, dad, didn't you just watch 18 men play baseball? Like <laughs> what's really the difference? What's really, you know, I, 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 I was tongue in cheek like that. I wasn't like talking down to my dad, but I was like, you know, kind of the same thing, right? It's on like a different sort of level. He's like, Oh yeah. I was like, it's just entertainment. It's just yep. different entertainment. He's like, okay, I get it. I get exactly. it. So yeah, that, that was the example. He's a diehard or he was a diehard sports fan. So explaining it to him on that level. But you know, if it's somebody else who loves watching reality TV, 
you watch a bunch of people just sit around and talk and fight and fake fight and shit, you know, like we're all doing the same stuff. We're getting entertainment from different ways. So I try not to shun people who are like, you're watching them play video games and explain to them why it's entertaining. And it brings a lot of people around. I tell you, we have viewers that have no video game console. They're in there to hang out and talk baseball. They don't have any relation to MLB the show, and yet they still enjoy it. They have learned about different things in the game just by being a part of the community. So if you like baseball, you don't even have to like video games. I promise I got something for you with my stream. So come through, hang out, and uh, you decide for yourself what you think about it. Just getting into this community, what I've realized is there are so many avenues to explore, whether you want to be in a Discord chat or l- watch live YouTube streams and comment or just yep. tweet, tweet at people. There are ways to get involved. Even you don't have to be someone who has a podcast or writes articles or whatever. If you want to chat with people, there are so many ways to get involved between live stuff, YouTube podcasts. There's everything, everything you can imagine is out there to explore. And I didn't really know that before I got into this world, but there's. It's huge. A million it's, it's vast. And like you said, you know, Facebook groups, people, I, I know that's a, a boomer thing to say Facebook, but <laughs> like we have a Facebook group for the podcast. I'm not as active in it anymore. I'll be honest. I don't go on Facebook that much, but like even that is a great way to hang out, have a community. I started on message boards many, many, many years ago that I'm not as popular anymore with message boards, but that was a great place too. So the, the fantasy baseball community and the baseball community at large have got pockets for everybody. You'll find something that you like. So if you're listening to this, I think you would enjoy the stream to come hang out and just chop it up with some baseball. And I'll answer your fantasy questions too. Even when I'm playing the show, I'll gladly answer people's pick up and trade questions and all that. You guys heard him. Go check out Paul over on Twitch at Spore, just the same as Twitter. At uh, Spore, at Spore. Yeah. Yeah, Spore on Twitter and Twitch. He does work at Fangraphs. He does work at. A, you still do any other stuff or just no? Fangraphs? Just, just Fangraphs now. Um, been full time with them for a while. Used to be freelancing everywhere. I do little pockets of work in I baseball HQ. I get to write from the forecaster. Little side projects like that. The the fantasy black book I do every winter. But my in season work, Fangraphs. Go check them out. Everybody's already on Fangraphs anyway. Go check out some Spore stuff. We'll see you guys back tomorrow. We won't be here with Paul, unfortunately, but you will see him on this show again at some point in the future. Check him out already on Twitter or on Twitter if you haven't already. Like I said, at Spore, I am at Joe Orico 99 We'll see you tomorrow, guys. Cheers. Cheers.